I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. And I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Good morning. This is What's Next. And today our guest is Mia Kai Simone Moody. Good morning to you, Mia Kai. Good morning, and hello, Buffalo. How are you? And how are you, Jay? I am doing well, and I'm thrilled to have you with us here today. Mia Kai has quite a story. Uh, Buffalo native, now living, working, thriving in Hollywood, <laughs> which is uh, unbelievable. We'll get to a little bit of that. We want to mention one thing about this because of the time frame that we're in right now. Mia Kai um, came from Buffalo. Made it in, is making it in Hollywood. She actually works for Family Guy, among other projects as well. However, because there is a strike right on, everybody knows about the strike in the entertainment industry. She cannot talk about her uh, role with Family Guy, but she's already promised to come back after the strike and talk to us at length. <laughs> Mia Kai, thanks very much for that. Let's get into uh, just your, your origin in Buffalo. Uh, you grew up uh, in Buffalo on the east side? Yes. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, so, yes, I am from the east side of Buffalo. I am proudly from the east side of Buffalo, and I've been blessed to enter a lot of really great rooms, and I want everyone to know that I carry Buffalo with me into each and every one of them. I love the city, and I make sure that when people meet me, they know that I am a product of the east side of Buffalo. When you think about that as being a, a product of the east side of Buffalo, because I've had a lot of different answers about this, but what what are those characteristics that come out of growing up on the east side? Well, I think this is a great opportunity for me to shout out my mother, Verona Lizette Moody. Uh, and so my mother herself is a product from the east side of Buffalo. And one of the things that I want parents who are listening to this to know, uh, or anybody who wants to enter the entertainment industry, is that my mother was a reader. She is still a reader, and she instilled in me a love of reading. So because of that, she read about lots of activities that the cities had to offer, like programs that the city had to offer. And one of the things, looking back, that I would say she did really well as a parent is that she encouraged me and provided opportunities for me to be the best version of the person that I wanted to be. She didn't put anything on me. Right. And so in Buffalo, she found art camps that I participated in. I did uh, swimming. I did writing camps. But the introduction to the entertainment industry for me came from Studio Arena. Oh. So when I was a kid, I forget how old, but this is like fun trivia on the Akai. <laughs> I was the first African-American female to play Tiny Tim in a multicultural production of A Christmas Carol. Wow. And so that experience, like being in school, like being this little child actress was really life changing for me. And so like I would have matinee performances and evening performances. And I just got a taste of like the acting world and just theater. I fell in love. Yeah. 
And so a couple years later, I came back to that production a little bit older, and I played the role of Harriet. But that sort of showed my mother and myself that, like, I was really interested in the arts. So she doubled down on that and found more, like, opportunities for me to really, like, again, experiment and try it out. I went to Montessori for elementary school. Okay. And I went to Buffalo Seminary for high school. Ah, okay. All right. And so Buffalo Seminary is where I found my voice. Thanks to my mother at Buffalo Seminary and just some of the other experiences I had, I learned what I call the art of the ask. And again, to shout out my mother, when I was younger, my mother would, as a little kid, encourage me to be articulate. So when we went to the drive-thru, she would have me order my food. <laughs> or, Can like, you come do that for me? <laughs> yeah. <I> stumble. <laughs> or like when we went to a store, she would have me speak up. And so what happened is when I was in Buffalo Seminary, you had to do an internship. And so if you're not familiar with Buffalo Seminary, it's a private all-girls sure. high school, predominantly white. I am African-American. But, like, I never, you know, felt any culture shock or anything. No? Like, I felt like I belonged, so that really wasn't an issue Do you think me. that's because of you or because of the institution? Because uh, of the way your mother yes. brought you up? Or is it, or do you think the institution was just welcoming in that regard? I think it was welcoming, but, again, my mother raised me to believe that I belonged in my room. And she did a lot of culturally affirming activities. You know, I had, like, black dolls. And uh, she made sure that I was well-rounded so that I was not intimidated by anyone. And so, sure enough, when it came time to do an internship in high school, a lot of my friends, you know, they were doing internships at, you know, their dad's law firm or, you know, their businesses. Right. And so, like, I didn't have that opportunity. <laughs> I didn't want to, like, work where my mom worked. So I decided I wanted to work in radio. Strangely enough. That is very strange, trust so, me. So at the time, WBLK 93.7 was like the biggest thing going like in the city. Like I loved it. So I reached out to them and asked if it was possible to create an internship and could I get credit for it? Because, like, you know, there were requirements. Yeah. And I reached out to somebody in the PR department and they said yes. And so instead of like having like a boring internship like a lot of like my classmates, I got to work at WBLK at a time when, you know, radio stations would do a lot of what they call remotes. Sure. So they were going on location all mm -hmm. around. Like, I got to go to several proms. A lot of my favorite, like, rappers and hip-hop artists, like, would come to the city. I got to meet them and go behind the scenes. So, again, I'm like, I'm kind of liking this PR thing. All right. I'm kind of liking this entertainment thing. So that was really incredible. But also, while I was at Buffalo Seminary, I applied to be a newspaper correspondent with Next Magazine. And at the time, it was a junior magazine where you could profile interest, like stories of interest to younger people. And so once again, instead of like accepting the status quo, I designed the life I wanted to have. So I would pitch diverse stories. The Universal Circus was a cool, hip, like urban circus. I was able to cover that for the newspaper. Again, when more of my favorite concerts came to town, I was able to cover that. I'm currently a Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated member. Uh, but at the time, I did the AKA Debutant program. I was able to profile that experience for the newspaper. So again, it taught and me. And you were part of the local chapter then? Part of the local chapter, Gamma Phi Omega chapter. And that's, that, that that's AKA proved to be beneficial program. for you. Absolutely beneficial. Again, it taught me that diversity was okay. Who I am is okay. Who I am is enough. But again, there's a quote I like. 
don't play the cards you're dealt, change the cards. And again, I learned to try to design the life. And so that's a theme that when we get into my story, you'll hear that's carried me throughout. Mia Kai, Simone Moody is our guest uh, this morning on uh, what's next. You've been rejected? I have been rejected before. Okay. So I would say... How do you overcome rejection? That, as I think, <laughs> as you're saying that, I yeah. think most people, and I can go on my own experience, you go for things. Sometimes you're afraid of getting rejected. Sometimes you get rejected and it's worse than you ever expected it to be. But how about for you? Okay. How did you work through that? It's funny because it happens to everybody. Of course. It does. <laughs> but so, that doesn't change the fear. Yes, it does not. <laughs> so I would say that up until college, up until NYU... I was on a pretty historic run, I would say. Like, I had never come across an unsuccessful outcome. And that spoiled me, and I got a rude awakening. Mm. So what happens is I ended up interning with Spike Lee, and they referred me to the Bill Cosby Screenwriting Fellowship. And I always wanted to be invited to L.A. I didn't want to just move out there and just, you know, see what happens. I wanted to, like, have a plan and something to do when I got there. So I did that fellowship, and it was great. But when I actually got to L.A. that second time and, like, I was no longer a student, it was the first time I came face-to-face with the realization that what I thought made me special, everybody in the city had. Mm. And that there are millions of talented people in Los Angeles who never make it. And so it actually sent me into a bit of a depression Mm. because I thought, like, once you move to L.A., you know, you go to school. This The city is waiting for me. The city is ready. Like, this is when right. things happen. Did you feel like you had the skill, though, that talent yes. to do that? Okay. Well, right. like, I went to, uh, I didn't, we didn't get into it, but I went to Sarah Lawrence and NYU on full scholarships. Ah. So I end up applying, getting in, I'm there. And then I get to L.A. and everybody wants to, screen, to be a screenwriter. Like, everybody wants to work in the entertainment industry. Everybody was the star of their school. You know, every and some people have more connections. Instead of, like, going to grad school like I did, some people just came straight out to L.A. and started working, got a foot in the door. Mm. So I'll give an example of one of the mistakes I made professionally that I hope if you are out there listening, if you have a similar experience, you don't do what I did. So, again, reading is a superpower. So my mother read an issue of Essence magazine, and there was an article on the highest-ranking black woman at Disney at the time and she sent it to me and so through sheer luck um, she just flagged it hey you might be interested in this a couple months later I was doing that Bill Cosby screenwriting fellowship and I actually we went to Disney and that woman who was profiled in the magazine happened to be at the event that I was at I was like oh my god and I because my mother sent me that article I was the only person who knew who she was oh nice And so I was able to use that and, like, you know, meet her and to ask for a meeting, an informational interview. And she said yes. And it took about three months to, like, come to fruition. But the longer it took to, like, keep the meeting because she's, like, super busy, so it kept getting pushed because Mm -hmm. she had higher priorities, the more hope I put into it. Because I thought this is how my career starts. Like, I've been invited to Disney. This woman knows who I am. And at the time, this woman was in charge of, like, hiring writers for, like, all different parts of, like, the divisions at Disney. And so I came up with all these ideas. I had my little folder. And I go into the meeting. And not only was it her, Disney has sent a producer with her. So now I'm meeting with two people who are high-ranking. They hire writers. Wow. And I'm there. I have my folder. And within the first five seconds, 
she tells me that they don't accept unsolicited material. And because I don't have an agent, like, I can't talk about any of the things in my folder. Oh, my. So I didn't, thankfully, I didn't bring my folder out. But, like, I was prepared to. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and so I'm like, and, and literally my head was spinning because I'm like, wait, here's a person who, like, needs to hire writers. I'm ready. I'm qualified. I have the ideas. It's going to make this company millions of dollars. And what happened is once she said that, I did not recover well. Hmm. So, like, I was present like, and I was answering questions, but, like, emotionally, my mind was reeling. And what happened is I fumbled the opportunity. And I was so disappointed that, okay, this is not going to be my big break. And so, like, we're just going to have a conversation. We're not going to talk about my stories. We're not going to, you know, share our passions. That, like, I did not make the most of actually getting to know her. Right. And it so was that a was a mistake you made. That you was said. a mistake I made that I was so disappointed in realizing what it wasn't that I didn't make the most mm. of what it was. And so after that meeting, I think we spoke for like an hour and a half. I can't tell you a thing that we said. It was not probably a memorable conversation at all. Like I never spoke to her again because I was so in my right. head. Right. And so after that period, it honestly led to a really big depression for me. Because I'm like, you okay. thought you blew your big chance. I thought I blew my big chance, but also I thought that was that was the only chance. Ah. Wait, so I'm, I'm in L.A., I'm meeting with Disney. It's just me. I'm invited here. If this is not how it happens, what do you do? Okay, like, what What do you do? And so, honestly, like I said, it took me a minute. I had to regroup, and I think it's important to allow yourself that space. Um, but it taught me an important lesson about expectations. Because, right. like, when you have expectations, you truly can be disappointed. So what made the difference for me is I continued to, like, work for free. And at that time, you know, there were a lot of internships that you weren't getting paid for. And that was another disappointment for me, that I was working for free, and I thought, okay, if I do a really good job and I'm really nice and I do a lot of networking, that, you know, they'll hire me. But then if they hire you, they have to pay you. And at that time, there were so many people willing to work for free. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't retaining people for, like, these long-term positions. So I was applying to jobs. So as you know, like whenever you want to work somewhere, the company has a website and they list like all the available positions. I must have applied to like over 300 jobs. 300. Over 300. Like I'm applying to jobs and nothing is happening. I think I got maybe two interviews out of the 300 resumes. And when I say that I'm applying, I mean, I am tailoring my cover letter specifically (laughs) for each position. When I tell you I was trying everything and it felt like I was running up against a brick wall. And someone finally said to me, you know what? It's probably your desperation. Like, I don't know what you're doing in these interviews, but you're clearly giving something off. And it was true. Like, I was so desperate and I wanted it so badly and, like, I had so much writing on it. The stakes felt so high that it was a deterrent. And I wasn't able to, like, be myself. Hmm. And I think, you know, I was just, I was trying to, like, ah, you know, just, you know, go for everything in the moment. I wasn't sort of going with the flow. So, which so would you say the rejection, once you got it in perspective, was a learning? It, it taught you something about yourself? It was humbling. Like, to be honest, I probably had a bit of an ego. Because, again, I had never come right. across, like, an unsuccessful outcome. Hmm. And it was the first time I, I faced the realization that just because you want it, it doesn't happen. 
And that was, it took, I learned that lesson late, (laughs) (laughs) but it was good to know. And so the rejections also taught me not to take things personally. And like, you have to have thick skin. It's like, okay, well, if I want this to happen, so you know what? The traditional route isn't going to happen to me. I'm going to have to figure out a different way. And I think that's what made the difference. Because, again, when you live in L.A., it's what they call an industry town. And you don't really think about what that means until you're actually in it. Where, okay, you know what? There's a job opening. 500 people want this one position. But maybe 30 people heard about it before it was posted. And they have something that they call the UTA job list, which, you know, has a lot of like different professions. I mean, a lot of a lot of different positions listed, um, you know, entry level, like management positions, things like that. I didn't realize by the time that I received <laughs> that email, it had been seen by thousands of people. So informational interviews, like I said, are kind of what made the difference. Yeah, you for me. mentioned that before we went on, on the air here. Informational interviews. What is an informational interview? To, to give us a definition of that. Yes. So for me, an informational interview is a backdoor way to sort of meet somebody one on one and in a low stakes setting learn more about what they do. Okay. So like say, So this is not coming in here's a job. No. It's, okay. Right. Like, okay, say there's somebody who wants to work in radio. Mm-hmm. They would say, Hi Jay, like are you available for informational interview? They're not asking for a job at the station. They're just asking for maybe to ba- maybe buy you a cup of coffee or maybe take you to lunch or maybe just meet with you for 10 minutes. And like again, because when you say you want to be in radio or you say you want to work in the entertainment industry, you make that decision as a fan. You really don't have an yes. idea of what it's actually like. Mm-hmm. So an informational mm-hmm. interview allows you a one-on-one meeting to actually speak to someone who does the work that you're interested in. And like this is a great tactic for people who are looking to change careers or you know, you're graduating during a pandemic. Okay, I'm still looking for a job. I'm curious. Do I like this? I want to know more about it. That's what an informational interview is. And so what's great about it is you get this one-on-one time. If the person says yes. Um, and just curious, just to be specific, yes. did you request, I want to have an informational interview? Did you say yes. that? Yeah, so I'll tell you how I did it. Okay. So, little known fact, but really obvious, if you know one person's email at a company, chances are <laughs> you know them all. <laughs> so, my little secret is that I would Google, like, a press release ah. for, like, you know, a Sony or a Disney or whatever. Right. And I would notice there's an email format. Typically, the email address is like first name dot last name at whatever the website is. So again, once you know one, chances are you know them all. So I would write a cold email. So here's who I, it will be a short email. Here's who I am. And I would leave with my accolades and just position myself as somebody worthy of the time. Here's why I think you're amazing. And I would lean in with uh, genuine flattery, like nothing general. Like you created this thing that I really love. So you knew love. something about the person you were. It showed that to. I did okay. research and like right. it showed that like it wasn't just. We've all received those uh, those emails, dear sir or madam. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would like to speak to you. No, but like put in some actual facts, and I would ask for ten minutes of their time. Like I would like to talk to you about story. I would like to talk to you about character development or whatever it is, whatever industry. If you're listening to this, that you're whatever you're curious about, I will list specific things. And again, I would ask them for 10 minutes, but personally, I would prepare for two hours. So I would prepare 
a, like a list of everything I wanted to know. And I'm not talking about the, qu- the questions that I could Google. Like, I would go in, okay, so if I never spoke to this person again, if they say yes and we never speak again, what do I need to ask them so that I can move forward? Because I wanted to, I wasn't looking for a job at that point. I was looking for information. I want to know how they think. I don't want to know, like, I want to, tell, I want to hear about your mistakes. I want to hear about your failures. I want to know how you worked your way out of that hole. And at the end of that interview, if it went well, and they always did because I prepared, I would always ask them, is there anyone else you think I should meet? And that would always be my last question. And when I asked that question, because I had researched so much, I knew who I was hoping for an introduction to. And then I would say, like, if it felt natural, it felt right, do you think so-and-so might be willing to meet with me? And sometimes they would say yes. Or sometimes they would say a name that, like, I had never even heard of. And slowly but surely, that's how I built my network in L.A. And it's a long-term approach. So, like, if you need a job immediately. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> not necessarily the you way know, to go. Not necessarily the way to go. But what it did was it gave me genuine relationships. And it taught me. And like, So what I did was, and here's how you do this if you're listening. If you want to do an informational interview, you don't know anybody in the industry you're trying to get into. It could be entertainment. It could be whatever. Make a list of everybody who's currently doing the work that you want to do. And, if you know, all the companies you admire, you can look at IMDb, you can look at the trades, like whatever you find your information, make a list of all the people and then look at it and say, OK, of all these people, who do I have access to right now? And like, don't go for the celebrities. Like, that's a mistake. Like right. the celebrities, they get thousands of people each week trying to meet them. Go for the people behind the scenes who actually don't get genuine letters of like interest often. So give me then exa- an example then of who some of the people or types of people we might not know the names but the positions that they were in that you reached out and had success uh connecting on these information okay one person again through research so when i decided i wanted to be in animation specifically i noticed that there was this one woman who was like the godmother of animation that she was like really responsible for like sort of putting together uh nickelodeons like you know the rugrats like all of Mm. those programs at that time she worked in development and she sort of built that program out, uh, hired the people who hired the creators, and she sort of oversaw everything. And so I would read a lot of animation blogs. And again, when I research, I don't just read like that first article on the page. I would go through the archives. <laughs> and I noticed like her name was everywhere. And I would read animation books. She was listed in the acknowledgments or, you know, she was referenced in interviews. And I'm like, OK, so I want to meet people. I got to meet that woman. Gotcha. And so, again, I did that email thing. Yeah. And what was funny about that situation is I actually reached out to her. And <laughs> I thought I was going to have to do this pitch. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I got to gotta work for it. And she read my email. And we got on the phone. And she said, okay, who do you want to meet? Like, within the first 30 seconds. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. So I don't have to, wow. I don't have to do a big song and dance. And she gave me a list of people. She gave me emails right away. And, like, there was one person in particular at the Jim Henson Company. She's like, you really should meet this person. And I said, well, would you mind doing, like, she probably, like, meets a lot of people. Would you mind doing, like, an email introduction? And she did. Oh, wow. Jay, I did not know this woman. This was the first time I ever met her, and she opened up her Rolodex. And that's the thing, like, about animation. 
animation people are the nicest people on the planet. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you don't hear in animation the stories of people getting staplers, throwing a thumb, and any of, like, the horror stories that, you know, can sometimes happen in Hollywood. Like, animation people are the salt of the earth. But, like, that's an opportunity where it worked out in my favor. And I actually met a lot of those people. Um, but it didn't lead to a job. Okay. But you learned a lot. But I learned a lot, and I'm meeting people, and now I'm finding out, you know what, this work I want to do, I think I want to be in development, I think I want to be, you know, in the department that helps, like, bring these stories to life and finds the, you know, the right writer for the project. Like, I think I like this. And we're talking with Mia Kai, Simone Moody, Buffalo native, making it in Hollywood, and we're having a great conversation here. So, all right, the big break. Because you've really taken us through the process here, and I think we've all— enjoyed hearing because you you know we've all gone through this to a certain extent rejection trying to figure out where we wanted to go maybe dashing our own dreams you've continued through so you got your big break how did this come about (laughs) so at this point i've worked with spike lee uh i interned on one of his projects so now i'm in l.a and I actually got bit by a poisonous spider. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the way I expected this, this conversation the... to go. <laughs> and so what happened was I had been doing all these free internships. And, like, you know, I thought the way that the traditional way of, like, breaking in Hollywood is, like, you start, you know, as a, P- a production assistant or a PA, as they call them. And then you eventually become an assistant. And you Like, you pay your dues and you work your way up. So I'm still at the interning stage. And I get bit by this poisonous spider. So, like, I can't walk for weeks. And once again, it's a bit of a little bit of a depression because I feel like I'm losing time. And so all my friends are, you know, going and having great jobs, having great positions. And so I realize I have to try something different. So I do those informational interview things and like I'm meeting a lot of people. It's not working out. I read about a screening for the movie Despicable Me 2, which was the hottest movie at the time. And there was going to be a free award show screening with the head of the Illumination Studio, the company that produces that movie, and the music phenomenon Pharrell. So it's free. I sign up. I got this, like, crazy foot. I'm limping. Like, my scar is, like, literally scaring small children. But I put on my shiniest shirt, Jay, like a sparkly, glittery shirt. I get there early. I sit in the front row. So the thing is, it was a screening of the movie, and then there was a Q&A after. And so I don't remember what question I asked, but I sat in the front row, and the whole time they were speaking, like, I was taking notes. And I was, like, taking exaggerated notes. Like, I was really, like, ooh, that was great, you know? So they're on the stage, and they can see me. So I asked a question, and it was a really thoughtful question, because, you know, you know, you ask somebody a question, they jump back, yep, like, yep, oh, okay. Yep, yep. So I asked one of those, and when it was over, everybody was trying to get to Pharrell. I was trying to get to the 50-year-old white guy because, like, he was, like, the producer of the movie in the studio. And so, literally, his people are rushing him out. Jay, I chase him down. Mm. I do a light jog. I believe this. (laughs) With the bad foot. With the bad foot. I chase him down. I tap him on the shoulder, and I say, hi, you know, and I do an elevator pitch. It's 25 seconds, and I ask him if I can do an informational interview with him. And he was like, you know, I really wish I can, but, like, I'm a little too busy. I was like, oh, okay, no worries. And I give him my business card anyway, and he actually takes it. And the thing is, Jay, my business card at the time had my photo on it. And so three months, like, nothing happens. Three months later, I get a call from their HR department, 
And I think maybe he wore that outfit again and, like, found my business card. But they called me and they asked, um, hey, like, the CEO asked us to reach out to you. Like, are you interested in, like, coming in? And so I go in. But they don't have a job available. But they have an internship available. Mm. And so this is what the I want the audience to know. It's okay sometimes to make a lateral move or to just be open to the idea that it may not happen the way you expect. Because the decision I was facing at the time is like, this is my big break. So they offer me a graduate internship in development. Okay. And so remember, I've been speaking to all these development people, but I hadn't yet had like an official position doing that work. And in my mind, it's like, okay, this is paid. But, like, I'm not, I still had to work my way up. It's another internship. Like, can I afford to do another internship? So I eventually said yes. Hmm. And that ends up being my big break because now I'm finally in the room. And that's the thing that you need to know. You have to get in the door. Because, like, from there, it's easier to get that second job than, like, to get the first. And you need to be around the people who are doing the work. Uh, and then once, now I can say I work at Illumination. Now I can say, and like, again, it was the hottest like animation studio at the time. And like, you know, they just did the Super Mario Brothers movie, which, oh, okay. you know, broke all the records. So um, they were really starting to come into their own at that time. And while I was at their internship, it was only for three months. And I've always had a no job uh, is too small attitude. So, like, I work my tail off. Hmm. Like, I quickly position myself as, And is like, it safe to say that everybody in Hollywood works their tail off? I would say so. But, like, some people have ego. <laughs> so, like, what separated me is, like, I'm happy to get do... I'm going to do the coffee. Like, okay, there's a crumb. Like, you, you don't realize that people are always watching you even when it doesn't appear that they are. And, like, now as, like, a boss myself, like, you notice when people go the extra mile. I'll give you an example. Like, say it's a holiday weekend. You know the people who rush out and the people who stop and say, hey, is there anything do you need? Like, do are we covered? Like, you realize those people who tend to care about the work and the people who are just there because it's a job. And so, like, I ask questions. And, like, at that time, again, they're in development. So I will always ask the executives, okay, why did you say no to that pitch? Because, again, I wanted to know how they thought. And so a lot of people were good you have to be good to even get in the room sure, you're good but like you do have to find a way to fill a void so that's something that if you're listening i want you to take away from this how do you recognize the void wherever there's a need like so i don't think there's a one size fits all answer for that but you have to be observant and you have to be on the lookout like find a way to provide value so my goal in any position is like okay how do i make the job easier for the person ahead of me and like how do i leave things better um, but like, there's always going to be a void. Like I, um, sometimes it's your personality. Like in Hollywood, sometimes we call them cartoon emergencies. There are cartoon emergencies. Like the work can be really stressful. So like being the person who makes people laugh when things are hard, being the person who like goes the extra mile and, you know, gives your boss an article that they may not have seen, like youth can be an advantage. So, like, if you and your friends are, like, really into something, your boss, who may not be active on social media, may not know about it yet. So, sometimes it's, like, providing information. Like, if you're an older worker, sometimes it's experience. Hey, I've seen something like this before. Here's what we did last time. So, you have to find your thing. If you're listening, that is your objective. Find the thing that makes me different. Find the thing that I care about the most, the thing that I know the what most. What makes you different? 
I think me, again, it's reading. Mm. Like, I read everything. There are things that I read in 2013 that have just become relevant now. So, like, I like to know a little bit about a lot. And so, like, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, I read financial, like, magazines. And, you know, I've subscribed to, like, Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal, things like that. And so there have been times when I've been in rooms and I've met somebody and it's like, as an African-American female, why do you know that? Mm, (laughs) You know? mm, So, like, using people's prejudices sometimes against me, like, oh, how do you know that? Or here's another tip. Google Alerts. If you have a Gmail account, Google Alerts are free. So what I would do is, again, remember I told you to make a list of all the places you want to work, the people you're interested in. I put Google Alerts on all those people and their companies. So whenever there's an article published, I get an email about it. Ah. So now I don't even have to go looking. And I sign up for, like, every newsletter. I think I probably get, like, 500 emails a day to my personal email. Mm. I don't read them all, but, like, if I need to search for something, like, the chances are it's in my email. And so basically when you do those Google alerts, like, it'll tell you if there are events in your city. So, again, if you're listening, you're in Buffalo. Like, there are, like, entertainment things that happen here. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, there are things that happen in Toronto. Your job is to know about it. And your job is to, okay, I'll give you another secret weapon. Faye, are you ready? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm writing these down. <laughs> okay. So here's a, a thing that worked for me. If you're on a panel, not if you're on a panel, if you're attending a panel, chances are there's like four to five people on a the panel. There's maybe anywhere from 50 to like 100 in the audience. So what typically happens is when the panel is over, we all know that one person who's going to try to have a 57-minute conversation with the person like who was just speaking. Because, again, they're finally, they're finally in Buffalo. Here's the person I've always wanted to meet. This is my chance. I don't do that. So before the event, they tell you who's going to be there. Again, reading is a superpower. I do research. So I'll pick maybe one or two people on the panel to focus on. So I'm going to look into the projects they're affiliated with. I'm going to, again, put some Google alerts on their company. I'm going to know the headlines that they probably care about or that they know about. I'm also looking for things we have in common. Okay, where do they go to school? Where are they from? Because the secret to networking, especially in L.A., everybody works in Hollywood. Everybody's gone to USC or NYU. Like, that's not special. you got to find the other thing. So sometimes... um, It's just knowing the right question. Because, like, after that panel, chances are the person who I'm speaking about who tries to hog their time, they're asking something about themselves. I'm going to ask one question, like, that's thought-provoking. Like, maybe it's like, uh, what was it like working with that? Like, I'm going to find something obscure. (laughs) And, like, it's also happened to me where I've been out somewhere and, like, I wasn't planning to meet somebody and, boom, there it is. Like, I'll Google them real quick. Like, <laughs> technology <laughs> is a weapon. But anyway, I asked the person, hey, I know you're trying to get home to your family. I know it's been a long day. Is there any way that I can get your email address and, like, we can follow up on this later? I don't try to have the conversation there. And then once people see me getting the email address, of course, everybody wants their email address. So I say, okay, we're going to be best friends. What do I say in my email subject so you know it's me? <laughs> And so they'll tell me, like, oh, put da-da-da-da-da. So then again, my email will separate itself from the pack. 
And again, now that's the style that works for me, Jay, because like that's the personality that I have. And I have, <laughs> yes. I have had people yes. try to like yeah. follow the Kai playbook and I had to work exactly for them. So your goal, if you're listening, is to find your version of what I'm saying. But the reason why you go for the email address is because you can take some time and like write a great introductory email and position yourself the way you want to be positioned. Like everyone may not be good in person. Like you may be a better writer than you are, like speaker, you may be shy, whatever the case. So you get the email so you can take your time and like format it like a proper introduction later. Mia Kai, Simone Moody is with us uh, this morning, native of Buffalo and here in Buffalo uh, because right now the, the strike is on in the entertainment industry. We mentioned this at the top. Mia, uh, Mia Kai works actually for Family Guy, among other uh, projects. Can't talk about it because of the strike, but uh, she has promised to come back someday maybe and uh, give us uh, some of the really insides of, uh, of Family Guy and other uh, things as well. Um, a lot, there's so much that's come up, and this, this conversation is carried very well, and we only have maybe another 15 minutes or so. What would be one piece of advice you would say in that regard? <laughs> okay, there's probably a to, lot to it, but... I'll try to tell a quick story. So just be, be careful of people who you meet under false pretenses. So, like, there was a person where I went to a big, fancy, like, like Hollywood film festival, and they were a moderator on the panel. So, of course, they seem legit. Like, they're on, mm. the, they're on the panel. They're speaking to people. And I went, up, I went up to them after, and I told them, like, hey, I'm new in town, and, you know, like, I want to write, and here's what I want to do. And they said, oh, like, I can help you. You know, I can mentor you. And so they set a meeting with me. We meet, and this person starts talking all about their idea. So we met so that we can develop my idea. And it turned into, because this person had a lot of technical expertise. Like, they could animate, they could draw, but they had trouble with story. Story was my forte. I could not animate. I could not draw. So it seemed like a match. And so this person ended up pitching me this idea where I would write his screenplay for him because I understood his story and what he was trying to do. And I would give him maybe three drafts in three months until he was satisfied with it. And in exchange, he would give me $10,000 worth of coaching experience. Mm. And that sounds really interesting, <laughs> but when you, when you really think about it, okay, wait, so I'm going to get you to the point where you no longer need me and you could take it from here. And in return, you're going to give me advice on what I still need to do, but you're not going to help me do it. And you've priced this value, but I get no money. Okay. Hmm. Mm. I think that's the deal that I'm going to have to say no to. So, you know, I think it could be the lesson is like when you finally get that meeting, you know, check their credits. Like there are ways to verify if people actually are who they say they are okay. on the Internet. Anybody can be anything they want to be. Sure. But, um, you know, again, when the switch rule happens like that, where you meet with somebody for one reason and then it becomes something else or they're offering an exchange of goods where you get absolutely nothing out the deal, um, you know, that can be predatory. $10,000 worth of coaching. <laughs> worth <huh>? of coaching. <laughs> Interesting. So uh, back just one more other question about the screenplay. Is that because you seem like somebody who has goals and dreams and you're going to go do mm -hmm. them. Are you going to get those screenplays produced or one of them? Is that going to happen? Or so. a screenplay? Is that something that's going to come? I hope 
So, like, I'm actually working on some really cool things now mm. that I'm really excited about. Oh, you're killing me. Um, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I really wish I could. No, that's um, all right. That's but all right. I, I will say that one of the reasons why it's taken me so long is that when I got to the show that I work on, uh, I'm in a position to help bring people in. So one of my responsibilities is to hire and manage the production assistants uh, and the receptionists for the production. And honestly, it's been one of the most rewarding things of my life. I found a love of mentorship, being able to hold the door open and let other people come in. And like we've all probably been to jobs where maybe you felt like you were alone. You may be the only person of color or the only person who thinks like you, looks like you, whatever that may be. And like you weren't really protected while you were there. So like I love being in a position where I can actually make sure that you thrive. And so I feel like for the last couple of years, like I've been working on the show, I've hired like I can't even count how many people who've gone on to do really great things. And I feel like now that I've held the door open, it's time for me to walk through it. Hmm. So I do think um, you'll be hearing some exciting news from me uh in the coming years animation takes a long time but sure. i'm also interested in picture books oh publishing is of interest to me um but jay before we wrap because i know we have to wrap soon is it okay if i tell the buffalo audience some things about social media yes you yes, have another question first well, I'll save my I'll save that question for last. And tell me what what do you want to say about social media? I want people to know that like it sounds really intimidating when you think about influencers and like yep. everybody wants to be an influencer, sure. but it is possible to leverage social media and not have millions of followers. Okay, I do not have millions of followers, Jay. Like I would call myself, in fact, a casual social media user. All right. I, when you say social media, what do you want? I'm on. Instagram, okay. I have one post. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. I retweet almost exclusively. And, you know, I'll like some things. I use it really to laugh and, like, just to keep for research purposes. Um, but I sort of got another lucky big break that I wasn't expecting on the app Clubhouse, okay. which has since kind of fallen by the wayside. But at the time when the pandemic hit, Clubhouse was like the biggest thing because we were all inside. We were all trapped like there was really nothing to do. And a friend of mine and I were looking for a place to talk about animation. And so one of the other things I want your audience to know is to be passionate out loud. If there are things that you like, things that you admire, have those conversations on LinkedIn, on your like social media platform of choice. Because that those two people talking, my friend and I, turned into 20 people who wanted to speak about animation. And, like, it wasn't that we were talking about, like, anything in particular. It was just conversations that we would typically have in private. And, you know, from 20 people, we're all inside, you know, 200. And so over the course of the next two years, we built uh, what is now known as the Animation Club into a membership, a sort of tight-knit community of over 22,000 people. Wow. And so it was another opportunity where I got to see what happens when you're just authentically yourself, when you're passionate, again, out loud. Because, like, a lot of people who I hadn't met already came to me because I had this platform. So I got to work with a lot of the big Hollywood, Hollywood studios and do events with them. Like, one of the highlights for me was um, we did an event with DC Comics. You know, they had a uh, 
a fellowship that they were doing, which is really incredible, the Milestone Initiative, uh, and we helped them promote it. And so just being able to meet all these different people, it started with me just having a conversation with a friend and inviting people into that conversation. So I think the the famous adage, if you build it, they will come, mm. is absolutely true. And that's something you could do at home. Like, it may not be social media, but, like, there are times when I'll post something on Twitter. Jay, I may get four likes, but two of the, like, likes are the people who I wanted to see it. Okay. So, like, I want so how to— do you, How do you—how did you target it? Did you target it because you thought the people that you wanted to see it were hoping—was that the intent of the tweet? Sometimes it is. Like, for example— Everybody who is looking to do something new with their career or maybe move up in their career, any professional basically, should have a LinkedIn page. And the reason why I encourage LinkedIn first is because it's a, like a platform built for networking professionally. So I would recommend that you add recruiters. Again, that list of people who you admire, add them on LinkedIn. And so be passionate out Like, post articles of interest if you like are excited about something if you disagree with something like keep it pc keep it (laughs) you know remember the people are watching but have those conversations online and you want to have the people who like whatever you're talking about like they'll happen to see it like um i'll say that i'm a really big fan of the goofy movie and like it really just disappoints me that we haven't had um like a power line movie yet. Like I love that character. Like I don't know why we haven't got a spinoff. And so like every once in a while, like I'll say that and I'll like tag the director of the goofy movie or maybe Kevin Campbell. Um, you know, sometimes the director would see it. Or if there's like a, a, a again, Google alerts, if there's a company I admire, like I may tag the CEO or an executive. Um, and like lately lately I, I use it to help people. Like I have a lot of artists who I follow and because of that animation club, so I may tag like a producer of the movie that they like did some fan art for so they can see it. And, you know, that's led to people getting like agents and a lot of really cool opportunities. But again, you don't need 10,000 people in order to make an impact. I think that's important to know. Mia Kai, uh, you know, we've enjoyed uh, hearing about your, uh, you know, the way you've worked through this all the way. And you did talk about some of the the struggles along the way and some of the, a couple of disappointments. But you also told me before going on the air that you almost quit. What happened there? Well, I think, again, it was sort of that period when I was still struggling to get a foot in the door. And it was really hard when I felt like I was talented and I felt like, you know, my background had prepared me to excel and I wasn't seeing the results immediately. And so I really had to lean on, I would say, my faith. And the idea that, like, what's for me is for me. The thing that people may not realize is that networking is sort of like dating. It's chemistry. And just like dating, everyone's not going to be your person. And so for me, I think a lot of disappointment and, you know, wanting to quit came for, you know, maybe chasing after somebody that wasn't meant for me. And like, okay, you know what? This person, I worked for free for this person. Or, you know, there have been times when people have said to me, like, Mia Kai, you have to meet this person. I will randomly be out in L.A. and and meet that person. And nothing would come of it. Mm. Uh, again, like, what? Why did I? Why was I told that? Um, And so, like, 
I think the pivot for me became trying to find my people. And so not resting on my laurels and waiting for them to find me, putting myself in position to actually meet them. Okay, this person is going to be speaking here. I'm going to go there. Let me go there with the strategy again. How can I stand out? Um, but it's rough, Jay, because like imposter syndrome is real. It happens to all of us. Like it is possible that you finally get a foot in the door and it's like, okay, well, can I actually do this? Because now you got to do the thing. Right, right that you know you've been really excited about um so if you're listening to me and you're in a similar place where you want to quit i'm here to tell you to keep going it is absolutely worth it you'll find your people if it's not working if you feel like you've tried everything it's time to try something else and that's still possible so i will also tell your audience um if you heard things that you like today and you want to continue the conversation uh you can follow me on linkedin Okay. Uh, I do get a lot of messages, but I promise I will read yours. <laughs> um, and we can just keep the conversation going because it, it gets tough, and you have to know that. Do you like Hollywood? Do you like the Hollywood? Do you like being in Hollywood, Hollywood, Los Angeles? Do you like it? I do. Uh, especially. What do you like about it? <laughs> well, I happened to be here during that last blizzard we had here in <laughs> Buffalo, so I really like that there's no snow. <laughs> um but I, I like the life that I built for myself in Hollywood. And I think that's something that no matter where you live, you can create for yourself. Cause it starts with the people. Like it is easy to go to Hollywood and sort of lose yourself or try to become somebody that you're not. So I like that. I found people who appreciate me for me. Um, the city itself is gorgeous. But again, I, I sometimes tell people, a lot of people have moved to LA and had to leave LA. Sure. Oh yeah. Especially now with like AI and technology being what it is, like it is still possible to break in from Buffalo. Like your job is to first focus on the product. Like I said, I think I mentioned earlier, I waited to move to LA uh, until I was invited. And so like Buffalo is still great. This is a great radio station. There are a lot of great opportunities in Buffalo and Toronto. Again, a lot of places you can work from anywhere. Like pursue those first. Be really good at your craft first. Because, again, when you move to L.A., you're going to meet a lot of people who look like you, who have a similar background as you, who are passionate about the same projects that you are, who are trying to break into those same things. So, like, the name of the game isn't to move to L.A. It's to be able to stay in L.A. And so, like, also, I tell people, like, there's no shame in having to take on other work. Because, like, there's a lot of people who can't afford to, like, be in L.A., and so, like, you may not get the the break that you're looking for in the time frame that you need it. It's okay to go work at a grocery store or wherever you have to do, you know, drive Uber, Lyft, whatever, to pay your bills so you can keep the dream alive. But, like, don't feel like if you're listening to this conversation, okay, I got to move to L.A. <laughs> like, you don't have to move to L.A. yet. And, like, there are other cities where things are happening. You need to be good first. And you uh, actually somewhat jumped my final question when you said Buffalo is great. So the question is then, why is Buffalo great? What's great about Buffalo? I think what's great about Buffalo is the people. So, like, for example, again, to shout out my wonderful mother, Verona, uh, we got really into gardens. Hmm. My mother's a master organic gardener. It's really beautiful. We participate in the East Side Garden Walk. 
And I think that was just a recent example. I always come home for it. Like, she loves the gardens, and it's a passion that, like, I found through her. Like, being able to meet Buffalo natives, like, during that garden show, where we actually met you, Jay. Yes. Um, there were so many people who just stopped by, who were driving by, didn't even know about the show, and just stopped to talk. And I just got a chance to meet a lot of people who lived here, and they were just really brilliant people. And a lot of people like came on Saturday and they came back on Sunday with other people. So it just reminded me that this truly is like a, a city of, of neighbors, of people looking out for each other. And, uh, you know, just to sort of link it back to that, that tops attack, I'm really proud that this city has been able to sort of work toward healing together do you think so from outside looking in? I know you were here the day so. on May 14th and you were on the way over to the That tops. day on May 14th, yes. Like my mother and I were actually, that's our tops. Like, again, I'm from the east side of Buffalo. Like, I love that family dollar, like right next door. My favorite ice cream spot is on Jefferson. So I was there all the time. Um, and my mother's favorite juice is sold at the store. It was actually on sale that day. So we were going to go there, but gardening sort of saved us we were going to a nursery and at the last minute we said let's get the juice after and and that's why we weren't there when that happened but just seeing the way the city rallied together after that uh it was horrific it was horrific like I am still just my heart just goes out to all the families involved but again I found faith and and strength and seeing how like all the organizations jumped in like how quickly the tops was able to rebuild the fact that whenever i go inside the store the memory of those people who were impacted is still alive like to see their names i love the memorials but more importantly i love that people haven't moved on from the east side i love that you have this radio show that you're keeping the memory alive and reminding us of what should never happen again because we're a strong city, and it, it just, I hate that it happened here. I hate that it happened anywhere, but I, I believe that we can sort of get through it together. It's hard still, but uh, Buffalo is great. I like, um, it's funny, like, being here from a ch as a child and then not having lived here for a while, coming mm -hmm. back. Like, there are some of my favorite places that are no longer here. Hmm. But Jay, some of the things that have like sprouted up over the last couple of years, right. there's a lot of cool, like I'm really into Larkinville. Yes. There's yes. a lot of cool things going on. They just did a Prince concert like um, this past week. There's a lot of cool things here. The food is great. Taste of Buffalo. If I'm in town, I still hit it. Um, but it's the people. I've, I've, Jay, I met Barack Obama. I've met Hillary Clinton. Like, again, I've been in some really great rooms. I have to tell you, Buffalo people are still my favorite. There's just something about us. Like I said, there's a resilience there. There's a kindness there. And uh, I would just say there's opportunity here. And I hope if you listen to this conversation that you let my life and just a little bit of the story that I've shared with you remind you that it can happen from here. I am from Buffalo, east side of Buffalo. I've been all over the world. I've been in Africa. You know, when I was at Montessori, I studied abroad in Italy. But it starts here. And, like, while my story may be special, it may be unique, 
it is something that can happen for you too if you're listening if you're a parent like you know you can take some of the steps if you do want to move to LA or Atlanta or wherever you want to live I hope that you use some of the advice that I shared and make it work for you Mia Kai Simone Moody is uh, living and working in Hollywood can't talk about where she works but we can tell you that she works for Family Guy she can't talk about it because of the, the strike that's on she has promised to come back and join us when that strike is over, we're going to find out all <laughs> about that show. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Mia Kai, thank you so much for being on Buffalo. What's next? Thank you, Jay. Thank you for listening to Buffalo. This has been What's Next on WBFO. WBFO.